All right. Uh, so I'm going to just do a quick review, ask for questions, then dive into new stuff, and you know, just we'll, we'll work our way through those chapters that um, that I sent out. So, Muted again. We have a little echo. Here you go. Muted. All right. So, uh, just a quick reminder is that uh, this this book was written is uh, is the second part. It's the sequel, part two of the uh, the Gospel according to Luke. It's believed to be written by the same person. It's directed to a person named Theophilus, uh, who could who's more or less a stand-in for anybody who loves God or is beloved by God. Uh, Luke uh, continues to try to build a bridge between um, Christianity and Judaism uh, and to link Christianity or this new Jesus movement to its uh, heritage as a Jewish sect, uh, but also portray favorably Romans in that uh, Christianity is not a threat generally to the Roman uh, Empire and system. Uh, And Luke does that by constantly going back to the Old Testament and the Hebrew Scriptures. And, um, I mean, we'll see, in you, know, you read and we'll talk about today in, in Peter's initial speech on the day of Pentecost, uh, he cites uh, the book of Joel, of the prophet Joel. Uh, so there's this constant uh, reaffirmation that uh, this Jesus movement is linked to the Jewish heritage and fulfills and does not nullify God's promises made to Israel. Uh, there is a prominent place given for speeches. You, you see that in the, the, the first five chapters. Uh, I think there's at least two, if not three, speeches given by Peter. Uh, it may be more because you, usually there's a speech, there's a reaction, uh, and they're brought before a council, and then G- Peter gives another speech. Uh, so there's multiple, multiple speeches throughout uh, the book of Acts. And I think that's a good a, a good summary. And uh, you know, and apostle means ones who are sent. And the disciples, as we remember from last week, were commissioned by Jesus to do what Jesus had done, uh, which was a, a proclamation, works of power, works of liberation, uh, all based on that uh, that moment in in the uh, synagogue when Jesus stands up and reads from the uh, scroll of the book of of, of the prophet Isaiah, uh, announcing good news to the poor, release to captives. Uh, to let the oppressed go free, uh, the year of the Lord's favor, and which all begins with Jesus saying that he is the anointed one, uh, he is the servant uh, who will go out and do these things. And so Jesus commissions the disciples to do that. They don't do it quite all that successfully initially, but their greatest success, as we find out, comes uh, in the book of Acts. So I'm going to, so does anybody have any Thoughts, questions on all that? Reactions? Yes. I have a question. All right. Uh, in different readings, is Peter already a leader? I mean, because they'll say, uh, even during the, one of the resurrection appearances, Jesus said, go tell Peter and the disciples. You know, it'll be Peter and the disciples. Like, I mean, when they say, like, okay, Father Daryl and the people of St. Andrew, is Peter already a boss person? Yeah, do you want to be, do you want to be the boss person? Yeah. Why, he's a disciple, too. Why did they not just include him together? I, I think he's given a special place of, of, of honor in the, in, the, in the Twelve. I mean, that that's apparent when he, at the... 
When Jesus asks, who do people say that I am? Uh, Peter is the one that answers for all the disciples. And, and so, and, and plus he's one of the inner circle of three or four. You know, it's Peter, James, and John that Jesus takes up uh, the mountain uh, and witnesses the transfiguration. And so, in, in all of the Gospels, you know, Peter is given a place of honor amongst all the disciples. Um, you know, particularly the three, Peter, James, and John. But then Peter seems to have a special place uh, uh, within that, even when those three. Does that, does that help? Good, good. All right. Um, any, any other questions? All right. Well, we're going to, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, kind of the, the opening, and then we're going to look at the first, well, these first four or five chapters of, well, Two, three, four, and five of uh, of Luke. So, Luke. I mean Acts, Acts. Sorry, it's all Luke, but you know, it is the actually the apostle. So, uh, just a couple of things. Golden ages. You know, we think about you know, you know can even who would is does is there a golden age in the in the life of the United States of America. I mean, but, but, yeah. So we, you know, many people consider the '50s as the golden age of 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 um, 1950s America life. I mean, of American life. You know, my mom grew up uh, in the '50s, came of age in the '50s in Lake Jackson, Texas, and by her account, Lake Jackson was Shangri-La. Uh, it, it, couldn't, it, couldn't, it couldn't have been a better place to grow up in the entire world than Lake Jackson, Texas in the 1950s. Um, now, some folks might look to the founding fathers and those, uh, the, 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 the Revolutionary War and you know, the, the, the early uh, establishment of, of the United States. You know, so, you know, we do look back to golden eras or what we might consider golden eras. Uh, well, the people of Israel did that as well. Uh, we might say... Um, that you know, the original golden golden age is the Garden of Eden. Uh, if you recall from from chapter two of Genesis, that uh, you know God creates Adam and Eve, and they live in the garden. They name the animals. You know they hang out. You know they 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 can do. You know they can live their lives. Uh, we might say at ease as long as they don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Other than that, they're set. Yeah. You know. That quickly uh, falls apart in chapter three, but in chapter two there is this original golden age, and uh, it, it might be yeah, golden ages don't seem to last. Uh, much of the Old Testament doesn't deal with the golden age of living in the garden. It it, it is uh, more about being enslaved in Egypt. It is about wandering in the desert after liberation from Egypt. It is about uh, claiming the promised land. Uh, through through conflict, uh, and then there's another golden age that is uh, the United Monarchy under King David. Uh, so that would have been the golden age when you know when the the people of Israel looked back on the on the on the uh, when life was good. It would have been under King David uh, when, when David united the twelve tribes into one kingdom uh, with the capital at Jerusalem. But again, that only takes up a few chapters of either Second Samuel or First Kings. Uh, then you know, David dies, 
his son Solomon becomes king, and the kingdom divides into two. And so, you know, book uh, first and second kings are really uh, the aftermath uh, of of that division and the eventual destruction of both kingdoms, resulting in exile. Uh, and then, and so Acts is a golden age of the church. Uh, this chapter that we're using, uh, the book uh, Conversations with Scriptures. Uh, yeah, it's, the, it's the time of apostolic concord. It's where everybody's getting along and, and life is good uh, in the church. Uh, that's in the first five chapters. And then things start to shift beginning in chapter 6 with, a, with some conflict between uh, the, the, the Jewish adherents of the Jesus movement and the Greek uh, adherents of this Jesus movement. But in chapters 2, 3, 4, and 5, we have a, a time of um, uh, when everybody is living in one heart and mind almost. So does anybody have any uh, questions, thoughts on that? Nathan? Yeah, I was just going to say when you started, uh, typically golden ages are constructed ex post facto, and they all they almost always tell you just as much or more about the age that constructs them about the, as about the, the age of uh, which one you're at. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, so... Yes, that is a, a really good point. I mean, so I mean, this is this whole book is written around eighty or ninety uh, A.D. You know, let's say sixty years after Jesus' death and resurrection. So it's it's looking back uh, to a time period. We might say um, thirty-three A.D. to let's say sixty A.D. Yeah, so it's looking back twenty years um, from the events that it describes. And you know, one of the things to do is to 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 read Acts, and then also read the the actual letters of Paul, and you'll you you, you kind of see the um, things weren't as as perhaps as uh, golden as Acts depicts them as when you compare some of what Paul says uh, in terms of um, his relationship with Peter and some of the other other apostles. And I think we have Joan Majors and Hugh Majors. Have joined joined the conversation. So, hello, Hugh. How are you, Joan? Can you hear me? All right. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and talk about. So everybody have a Bible. Everybody got a Bible. I didn't prepare any. Um, what do we call it? Uh, slides. So we're just going to jump in and look at uh, chapter two of Luke. Or of Acts, sorry. Sorry. Yeah, so chapter 2 of Acts. Alright. Let me do it on time. Okay. Alright, so just a little bit about Pentecost. Yeah, so yeah, my, my Bible talks about this is the coming of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so we have uh, the day of Pentecost. Uh, the Pentecost was a Jewish feast. Uh, there are three great Jewish feasts of that time period. Passover, Pentecost, and something called Tabernacles or Booths. 
but Pentecost uh, occurred approximately 50 days after, after Passover. Uh, actually, Pentecost means 50, or is related to the, to the word 50, or number 50. Uh, and for the Feast of Pentecost, which was a, a pilgrimage feast, uh, people would bring to the priests at the temple a sheaf, I guess, some sort of uh, piece of a plant that they grew uh, as a crop, and it would represent the first fruits of what they would hope to become a good harvest. And so they would bring that to the temple. The temple would raise the sheaf on the day after the Sabbath, and a lamb would be sacrificed. So there is, um, and this is uh, to, um, you know, hopefully be the, the uh, beginning of a, a, of a good harvest to occur sometime in the future. Uh, at some point, Pentecost also became associated with the giving of the Ten Commandments. Uh, that probably happened after uh, the destruction of the temple, which not have been within the time period of the book of Acts, uh, but would make sense since, you know, to, to have a priest, you need a temple, and if the temple is destroyed, well, what do you do with a, with a feast? Well, we're going to transfer it to something else that's important, and that'll be the, the, the commemoration of God giving the Ten Commandments to Moses, and, and, uh, which was said to happen 50 days after uh, the, 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 the Hebrews left uh, Egypt during the, after, the, after Passover. So that's, uh, so that's Pentecost. That's, when, that's, the, that's the setting uh, for this. Uh, and I think uh, there, there are a couple of uh, Old Testament uh, antecedents, if you will, uh, for what is described in, 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 as what is, happens in, in the descent of the Spirit. Uh, you may recall Elijah you know, hides in the cave, and then he's waiting to hear from God, and God doesn't show up uh, in the wind. He doesn't show up in the, in, in the storm or the earthquake. Or anything like that, God shows up in a still small voice. Uh, then in creation, you know, if you look at verse one, uh, chapter one, verse two of Genesis, it talks about God's spirit uh, hovering or moving across the waters of creation before creation. Uh, and then God breathes His own breath into Adam in chapter two of Genesis. Uh, and also the Psalms talk about. Uh, God more or less containing the, the winds. And so God has power over the wind. And, and wind and breath are the same word in Hebrew, which is ruach. And so there's always that play uh, going on uh, in the Old Testament in the Hebrew uh, between wind and spirit or wind and breath. And so God is the source of the wind. God is the source of, of life. And here in, in verse or chapter 2, uh, here a violent wind uh, sweeps through the disciples where they are gathered and the presence of God in the form of tongues of fire rests upon each of them. I think that's what it said. It says, Divided tongues as a fire appeared among the disciples and a tongue rested on each of them and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Uh, one thing about fire, fire is a, um, usually symbolizes God's divine presence. Uh, sometimes it uh, symbolizes God's divine judgment. Uh, so we can recall you know, yeah, the, 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 when God appears to Moses it sp or speaks to Moses, he does so out of a burning bush. Uh, so that's, uh, you know, fire is a symbol of God's presence. And so we have this uh, whole episode uh, of um, 
in, in chapter 2, verse 5, there are devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem was kind of a cosmopolitan city. Uh, it, that goes back to the time of Alexander the Great uh, in, in his, um, his empire but that continued into the Roman period. And so Jews from every nation under heaven were living in Jerusalem and they heard uh, the disciples speaking in their own languages. Uh, and, and there's a nice list of everybody you know, in chapter 2, verse 9, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, uh, all the way through uh, verse 11. Uh, people from all over were hearing the disciples speak uh, in their own language. And, and, they, and then it is said that the disciples or the apostles were filled with wine, that they were drunk. And that's, so that's uh, you know, casting aspersions on, on, the, on the disciples and apostles. And so out of that, Peter stands up. Uh, it says, standing with the eleven. You know, so you can imagine, imagine all eleven or twelve now apostles uh, standing up together and Peter stepping out from them and addresses this, this great crowd of people, probably near the temple or even in the temple. And what he does is he goes back to the book of Joel and, and cites that. Uh, he says, no, this is what is spoken. We're not drunk. But this is what is spoken through the prophet Joel. Uh, in the last days it will, it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. And then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, so he, gives, he, he cites Joel. And this is actually what Peter recites is what we read usually on Ash Wednesday. Because uh, it's a kind of a judge, a, 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 some... Some words of, uh, of judgment. You know, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Uh, and so, so he, Peter you know, gives this speech. He says, that you, are, you that are Israelites, listen to what I say, Jesus of Nazareth. And so he cites, he reminds everybody what happened to Jesus uh, and what God was doing through Jesus. He reminds his hearers about David. And that, you know, David was a great king, but Jesus is even greater. Uh, that, that comes through in verse 34, citing a psalm. For David did not ascend into heavens, uh, but Jesus ascended into the heavens. And so he says, ending this speech, he says, Therefore let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. You know, so... He delivers this big message about Jesus, what God had done through Jesus, how it fulfills the scriptures, how you know, those who call on the Lord or Jesus will be, uh, will be saved. And so there is, uh, well, well, what's the response? And we get that in verse uh, 37. It says that the people who heard this were cut to the heart. Uh, I like that. I tried to find if there was any, what that may have meant. Um, in Greek, I couldn't find anything, but I did like that they were cut to the heart, and they ask, what should we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, that you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so it says, those who welcomed this message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. And then it goes on, and this is, uh, 
This sounds great. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. All right, any thoughts, reflections, questions? Sounds pretty good. It's kind of the first commune. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. Well, that was going on back then. Um, Yeah, so I'll just just point out a few things in in regards to some of this. Um, It's kind of a quick... uh, Is 3,000 a real number? Uh, yeah, it, it, I would th- I would think it means a lot of people. Yeah, they probably didn't quite keep the, the 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 parish register the way we do now, and to keep track of that kind of thing. They probably just that looks like three thousand. I mean, that's a lot of folks. Um, uh, yeah. So yeah, but that's just the beginning because you know five thousand later are are converted. Uh, and so, just a couple of things I wanted to mention in regards to this. Um, so, yeah, they held, uh, you know, they held, I'm going to come back to some of this in a minute, but I did want to, they had the goodwill of all the people. I mean, so, yeah, so I think what Luke is, he's saying, you know, they had the goodwill of the Jews, they had the goodwill of the Romans. And so I think that's an indication like people liked at this point, uh, there's no opposition uh, to what uh, the apostles are doing. Uh, and that's about to change. But at this point in the Christian movement's life, uh, they, got the, they have the goodwill of all the people. But that's going to change here after Jesus heals or after Peter heals uh, a crippled beggar. So in that, so we're going to see in, in chapter 3, Verses 1 through quite a while, through 22, is there's a pattern in, in Acts of um, where Peter, one of the, or Paul, maybe, or one of the other apostles, performing some kind of deed of power or miracle, and then there is opposi- opposition to that. They're taken before a council, or, and, and then they make another speech, uh, convert some people, and grow the church even more. And, and so, you know, beginning in chapter 3, um, you know, the goodwill, you know, was in, at the end of chapter 2, and chapter 3, that goodwill, uh, there's not as much, and there starts to be opposition to what the apostles are doing. And so, uh, I'm not going to go into a whole lot, unless anybody had anything that they, if they read this, had anything that they wanted to comment on concerning um, this activity. Who's that? Somebody wanted to say something? Uh, hold on a second. Yeah, let me, I'm going to unmute Nathan. If I can find you, Nathan. There you are. I found you. Okay, Nathan. 
<laughs> One of the things that caught my attention in the previous passage was the question of language. That's one of the most notable facts. That, uh, Peter, I'm assuming he was speaking in Aramaic uh, since he was a Galilean. But in any case, the text says that each, uh, there were people there from every nation under the earth, and they each understood him, mm -hmm. not in his language, but in their own language, mm -hmm. which I thought was, it's, it's kind of a nod, it's kind of a recognition of, of that expansion and, and the honor of, of all of those nations. Mm -hmm. And another thing came to mind, I don't know, is this perhaps sort of an allusion to the Tower of Babel? It's sort of, in a way, an inverse Tower of Babel? I mean, I wouldn't want to carry that too far, but I'm just wondering if that's not an echo there. Sure. Um, so, typically, and this 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 act well one is that you know peter and the other disciples aren't speaking necessarily in the languages of other people it's just those who heard them speaking in their own language um and then you know i think typically in the past this has been read as a um You know, a, a correction to Babel, if you will. I mean, if we actually, if we went back and read the, the, the Babel, Babel story, uh, you would find that that story is, you know, God does confuse the languages, but that was more of an effort to, God had ordered people to uh, scatter and, and go out and, and be fruitful and multiply, and here they were all coming together. And so God wanted people to go out, not be all together, and so he confused the languages so people couldn't work together. Um, but it does, it does get typically paired with that, uh, I think in the old, uh, maybe on Pente I think on Pentecost, yeah, that, yeah, it gets paired with that. Anyone else? Any questions? Yes. Yes. Oh. Oh, gee. Who's that? You know, I would like to say that the godly playlist okay. on Pentecost includes the Tower of Babel. It starts with that and then goes to Pentecost. Right. Yes. Hold on a second. Let me, un let me unmute Joan. Oh, I can't find Joan. I know you're on there. All right. So, yes, go ahead, Joan. Sorry. Godly play lesson for Pentecost, the story of the Tower of Babel. Yes. Then goes to Pentecost. Yes. Yes. And make that make that connection. Yeah, it does make that connection. I mean, it's not an incorrect connection. It's it's just not the only connection. I would say. Yeah. 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 So it's um, but I don't know if. I don't know if Acts was written to do that, but that's the way we've interpreted it. Yeah. Uh, that's one of the things yeah. I like to argue with Jerome. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Bring them down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it said they heard in right. their language. Did it, did it, is it just an implication that they spoke in their other language? I don't think, I don't, I think the, the inference is that the, the disciples weren't necessarily speaking in those languages. It's the, the miraculous power of the Spirit to enable people to hear uh, the disciples in their own language. 
if that makes sense. Yeah. The first glance, you feel like they're speaking. Right. And then you go back and look at it. Right. Well, no, it's not what it said. That's right. They heard it in yeah. those languages. That, that's correct. That's correct. Uh, I would just point out one thing in this uh, passage is about Peter heals a, 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 blind, a, a crippled beggar is that a couple of times throughout the, the, the beginning uh, of the book, it goes back to that idea of witness. You know, that when they, when they uh, chose Matthias and the other guy to, 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 to run in the election to be a, 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 an apostle, uh, they wanted somebody who had been witnesses. And so, um, again, Peter makes reference in chapter 3, verse 15, to, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead, and to this we are witnesses. And so that's, uh, in my reading of this today, that's what I noticed, uh, again, this this reference to, you know, that they they were witnesses to Jesus' resurrection. Um, Then again, there's emphasis on, you know, what do you do to get saved? You know, repent, turn to God, so your sins may be wiped out. And that, that was also part of the previous um, speech. Uh, and in this, in chapter 4, Peter's brought before, Peter and John uh, were um, brought before the Sadducees. And I'm going to go, I'm going to give you a little background on the, the different groups uh, that were around. So, so back in, back during what's called Second Temple Judaism, which is the, the Judaism of Jesus' day, um, there were different sects, S-E-C-T-S, uh, there were the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Essenes, and the Jesus movement. Uh, the Sadducees were associated with the temple. They're kind of an aristocratic uh, group of people, uh, upper class, elite. <clears throat> and uh, they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. Uh, and then there are the Pharisees, of which uh, we're going to find out in a little while about Paul. Paul was a Pharisee. Uh, they were a Jewish sect. Uh, they... they um, they believed in the general resurrection of the dead, uh, and they also believed, you know, there's, there's the written law, like in the Old Testament, uh, but they also was the oral tradition, and they thought people ought to also follow the oral tradition uh, of the Jewish law, not just the written part of it. Uh, and then there were the Essenes. Uh, you, know, you know, Ron mentioned that the, the, the Jesus movement was one of the original communal groups. Uh, well, the Essenes were as well. Uh, they, they're believed to have uh, been the, the uh, scribes who wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls. And they sort of, you know, the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they're involved in more in the daily life uh, of the people of Israel or the people of Judea, while the Essenes just generally checked out as a sort of um, an apocalyptic, separate themselves, be pure, uh, away from everybody else, uh, and they went about uh, writing their own material, but also uh, copying uh, some of the books of the Old Testament, uh, particularly like Isaiah and some of the prophets uh, like that. And then there, there's the Jesus movement. And all these four groups argued over a number of things. They argued over the, the role of the temple, uh, the Essenes thought that, that, that the temple was impure because um, uh, King Herod had appointed priests that weren't part of the, 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 the lineage out of, out of which typically uh, priests were appointed, and so they were invalid. Uh, they, they also argued over the law, 
you know, how is the law to be kept? Um, you know, do you have to, I mean, particularly related to Sabbath, food laws, and circumcision. And then they also argued about the resurrection of the dead and whether there was a resurrection of the dead. And so you can see how that all plays out. And so in chapter 4, Peter and John are brought before uh, the Sadducees uh, because they were teaching the people. Uh, Seems like there was some guardedness about who who is authorized to teach and who wasn't authorized to teach. Uh, If we went back and looked at the Gospels, we would find that Jesus gets questioned about, well, you know, obviously Jesus has authority. Where did he get this authority to teach? Uh, and, and so here in chapter 4, the very beginning, uh, they are being asked, or they're, they're being, you know, they're being um, questioned on where do they get this authority uh, to teach. And so what they do is they, they, well, Peter and John says in chapter 4, were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came to them, much annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming that at Jesus there is the resurrection of the dead. So you can see there's that point of contention between the apostles and the Sadducees on that. Sadducees didn't believe in resurrection of the dead. Obviously, the apostles did. And so they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, and, but many of those who heard the word believed, and they numbered about 5,000 people. You know, so we had 3,000 earlier, they got 5,000 right now. Uh, and then, yeah, so they, they, get, they get tried and they get released. You know, they get questioned and then they get released. And so you, there's, there's, there's kind of a progression going on. You know, first, they had the goodwill of everybody. Here, uh, they get brought before the Sadducees, the rulers, the elders, and the scribes of the temple, along with the high priest Caiaphas. Yeah, but they just question them, and then they release them. And that, that's going to change in a, in a minute. Uh, but, this is, a, is there any questions about all that? Any comments? I want to cover, I want to, I want to do something dear to, to, to uh, Hugh's heart, and that is to cover the portion of, of, about... Um, Stewardship uh, in this. Uh, any comments or concerns? Well, I'm, which of these three sects would be closest to the common to to what we think of as the Jewish religion now? Like like Orthodox, Reformed, and Orthodox, uh, Reformed, Conservative, right? Conservative. Right, conservative, right. And there's also another one called like Reconstructionist. So there may be four, but and then there's probably subgroups within that, like the Hasidic Jews, Sephardic Jews. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it was, so Judaism was diverse, basically, uh, then as it is now. Yeah. Any other thoughts? All right. So I'm going to talk about the the, the, the stewardship piece here. All right. So looking at Chapter 4, verse 32. Mute everybody. It says, Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul. No one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, they laid it at the apostles' feet and was and it was distributed to each as they had need. 
There was a Levite, a native of Cyprus, Joseph, to whom the apostles gave the name Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He sold a field that belonged to him, then brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So there's a whole... Luke deals with money and material goods more than any of the other Gospels. Uh, and he, he continues that in, uh, in, in Acts. And so money and possessions play a serious role uh, in this, especially at the beginning. And they are, for Luke, and hopefully for us, uh, symbols of people's response to Christ and the Christian Gospel. Uh, in, as, as Luke portrays it, uh, those who have experienced conversion in their lives you know, by, let's say, accepting Jesus or believing he's the Messiah, uh, they reflect this internal change by displaying external changes in the ordering of their financial priorities. Uh, the big example uh, in, the, in, in the Gospel according to Luke is Zacchaeus. Uh, Zacchaeus is the one who climbed up the tree and to see Jesus. And Jesus says, come on down, I'm coming to your house. And Zacchaeus was a, was a I think he was a tax collector, which meant he usually he collected the taxes and skimmed some off the top and kept some for himself. Uh, and then he says, uh, I will pay back you know, twice much or three times as much uh, as, I, as I skimmed from the top. Uh, so he you know, has the inner conversion, which is what I think Hugh... Uh, talks about frequently is wanting to talk about conversion when it comes to stewardship, and so you know, so the inner conversion of accepting Jesus is made manifest uh, or made obvious by reordering financial uh, priorities, and so for Luke, the converted life is visibly represented by a radical new approach to one's treasure. Uh, there, there had been, of course, a tradition of alms giving. Uh, in Judaism, uh, there's uh, references to it in the Proverbs and in Psalms. You know, Psalm 41.1 says, Happy are those who give to the poor. Uh, but Luke kind of turns it into this more radical change uh, by, by portraying the apostles and the disciples uh, into selling their possessions and bringing their proceeds to the apostles. It says that they come and lay the apostles' lays these things at the apostles' feet, uh, which was, I found out, an act of, well, it's an act of devotion, but it's also an an act that um, shows that the giver uh, trusts the receiver uh, of the goods. And so the the apostles are given the task of distributing these things. And so we have one example, a good example here, of... uh, of Joseph the Levite, who has, of course, he has another name, Barnabas, uh, of, of you know, selling this property. He sold a field that belonged to him. He brought the money, laid it at the, laid it at the apostles' feet. But then we have another story, chapter 5, uh, verses uh, 1 through 11, uh, that is uh, not as good. Uh, Ananias and his wife, Sapphira, they had a piece of property which they sold, and they kept back some of the proceeds Uh, for themselves and Peter asks why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the proceeds of the land while it remained unsold did it not remain your own after it was sold were not the proceeds at your disposal how is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart you did not lie to us but to God and then when Ananias heard these words he fell down and died so you have a, a really positive example of um uh, of uh, 
someone who experienced the inner conversion and you know, sold their property and gave that proceeds to the, to, the, to the apostles. Then you have this negative version of Ananias. And if we continued reading, we would find out that Sapphira, his wife, um, well, she dies too uh, for, for, for doing the same thing. Yeah, so they, 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 she died, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear seized the whole church and all who heard of these things. That's not, that, that part's not really good stewardship. We don't really want to operate out of fear uh, when it comes to these things. Um, I, ideally, it's out of the, you know, if we've experienced the conversion, uh, then we have an outward uh, um, display of, uh, of support for the church. And Anybody have any thoughts on that? Yeah, that bothers me when you think about in the last oh, 50 or 60 years when you think about the crazy cults that have come up in California and in Utah and around and they say in order to be a member of this cult and in order to be saved you've got to sign over everything mm-hmm. absolutely everything and, and there's a lot of that feeling right there for me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's not just Help us make this thing work. It's give me everything. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You think it's hyperbole? What's that? Hyperbole. Hyperbole. Uh, I, I think it's idealized. Yes, it's, it's ideal. I mean, and yeah, yeah. I mean, we have a in the in the in the Linda probably knows about this as well. Linda Linda Patterson and some of y'all who've been around this area for a long time know about. Um, Redeemer Episcopal in Houston. Um, I mean, Redeemer Episcopal in Houston. I mean, they, they, they were at the forefront of the charismatic movement of the Episcopal Church, and they actually lived. I mean, portions of that uh, church lived in common community with one another, selling, you know, selling your stuff, sharing common goods. I mean, they lived communally, uh, as as Ron mentioned, and as, as you know, talked about Acts. I mean, they were. And sadly, Redeemer is just a small remnant of 30 people that continue to gather. Um, yeah. So it's been tried uh, in Christianity. And, you know, monastic communities kind of reflect some of this uh, same um, kind of communal living, uh, sharing com- goods in common and you know, sharing work and things like that. Uh, but I think for, 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 for us, yeah, I, I think it just gets us to think about is our is our giving to the church in our top three things? Um, yeah, I mean, when we think about you know our our giving, where does giving to the church and supporting the work of the church and ministry of the church, where does that fall in our order of priorities? Um, well, head back toward tithing, right? Tithing, yes, one way of doing it. Yes, yes. Yeah, figuring out that out. I mean, there's there's different ways of doing it. Um, it, it doesn't need to come lay at the, the, the apostles' feet. I, I would be very uncomfortable if anybody thought that they needed to come to the church and lay it at my feet by any means. I mean, to me, that's what the offering on the altar is for. Um, and so, what we have, let's see. There's a couple more things I wanted to point out. Yes, so, okay. So, so just to kind of summarize so just a, real quick on the, on the so in chapter 5 
verse 17, yeah, actually starting in verse 12, it talks about the disciples or the apostles doing many signs and wonders were done among the people through the apostles and I mean that uh, people, the believers, yet more, even more believers, believers were added to the Lord. Great numbers of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets, laid them on cots and on mats, in order that Peter's shadow might fall on them as they came by. And a great number of people would also gather from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all cured. And then it says the the apostles are persecuted, so they are arrested. And they, but then they're let out of jail, uh, you know. So last time they were just brought before a council, and this time they're 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 they're, they're put in jail. Yeah, but then the, 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 the angel of the Lord releases them, and but then they bring him back to the council, and they're questioned. You know, they they were told not to teach in Jesus' name, but yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you are determined to bring this man's blood on us. And then Peter says, we must obey God rather than any human authority, the God of our ancestors, who you killed by hanging him on a tree. Uh, And then it goes on. And then actually, by the end of this episode, they are flogged. Uh, It says, and when they had called in the apostles, they had them flogged in verse 40. Yeah, so you've gone this from goodwill to some questioning about what the apostles are doing, to actually opposing them and arresting them, and then ultimately having them beaten. Uh, and so that, that, that goodwill has gone away to some degree. And, so, and, and, and actually, you, uh, this, this whole section ends and says, Every day the apostles were in the temple and at home, and they did not cease to teach and proclaim Jesus as the Messiah, yeah. So this didn't stop them. Uh, that, you know, this movement is is going, and even opposition is not going to stop them from doing it, because they're going to obey God rather than man. It says, and but then starting, and so we've had this. Uh, so this is to kind of summarize. Um, we've had this whole, I, I can say idealized, but you know, it's a. This is the as it says in the book. Uh, apostolic concord. Everybody's in concord. Everybody's sharing their goods. Everybody's you know, laying, uh, you know, the proceeds from sales at the disciples' feet, and the disciple, the apostles are, you know, making sure everybody's fed and goods are distributed, and everybody's taken care of. The needs of all are taken care of. But we're going to see that this 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 time period, everybody's on the same page, is about to change. Uh, one that will be, like I said, some. Some uh, starting in chapter six, some um, dissension within the Christian community uh, that uh, some folks aren't being taken care of, and so the, the apostles are going to say, "We can't do this on our own," and so we're going to appoint seven others who will be deacons to take care of this for us. Uh, we'll also see uh, the arrest and the, um, the, the the stoning of uh, Saint Stephen uh, will occur. Uh, also, in the next section, in chapter 8, uh, a guy named Saul shows up uh, to persecute the church. Uh, and, but then he has his own story um, of, of conversion uh, out of that. And, so, you know, and then Paul himself will have some uh, opposition to what he's doing. What he's doing will be called into question, even after he converts 
and because becomes a believer. And so you you start seeing this uh, you know this is a very dynamic book in some ways that it starts off very with a small group of 120 gathered in Jerusalem in the shadow of the temple uh, and you know in, in 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 complete concord and all together and then you kind of see this sort of fraying I wouldn't say fraying but just uh, people start moving out uh, into the into the world as Jesus wanted them to do you know first he said stay and wait for the spirit well the spirit's come and so now things they're going to start moving out uh, from Jerusalem. So, so how's that? Anybody have any thoughts, comments? I mean, one of the things I meant to mention before uh, we started was like, how do how do groups, new groups, form? What what sustains a a, a community? Um, I liked uh, how Robertson talked about in this. He he mentioned several things. He talks about thinking of today, how is life in your church community addressing the issues of how to build up a community? Uh, being of one heart and soul, no private ownership of any possessions, interdependence among its members, generosity, showing signs and wonders, offering the ministry of proclamation, failing to perform a commission, empowerment, increase in membership, devotion to teaching and fellowship. You know, how, how are we doing in St. Andrews, generally? Maybe not under these circumstances, but um, how, how are we generally doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> I think St. Andrews has a sense of family, and, and I talked to you about this seven years ago when we first met, mm -hmm. and, and I really believe that the sense of family has held St. Andrews on the growth track mm -hmm. for forever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good. Yes, yes, it definitely has that. Definitely. Uh, taking care of one another. I mean, I, I, we, we do our best. Uh, like, I like to think. I think we do a good job. Hopefully, hopefully you've been, hopefully you've, you've received a call from me and or the vestry at some point along the way, or will uh, in the next few weeks um, as we check on everybody. Yes. It's interesting to me, looking back on this, knowing, as you said, that, uh, that Luke is depicting a kind of a golden age, mm -hmm. and yet it's, we see there clearly so much diversity, uh, beginning with languages and national origins, and also so much complexity. You know, you mentioned the, the groups, there's the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the Essenes and their theological differences. I'm wondering, weren't there also zealots, kind of the political radicals and revolutionaries? Uh, uh, there were. Movement against, and of course, they are, they seem to be in, here in this book. But still, well, one of the things dawns on me that we are by no means the first ones having to deal with the complex, diverse, world that where forces are kind of pulling people apart. So right. those mm -hmm. are just the scattered mm -hmm. reflections mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. that come to my mind. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, it's uh the the yeah, I mean yeah, I mean yeah, there were there were zealots uh, and um, actually it says back in Luke that one of Jesus um, disciples now apostles was 
a zealot. And so you may have been able to be part of at least the Jesus movement and be a zealot. I don't know if you could have been a Sadducee or a Pharisee, maybe. Um, but, you know, it was a, it was a, diverse, a diverse time. Uh, not just, um, you know, ethnically, but also, we might say, politically. I mean, and then there's the whole Roman aspect of this. I mean, I mean there, the, Judea is an occupied uh, state. Um, you know, so that's going on. Uh, you, so that, I mean, that adds another whole other level of, of complexity uh, to, to at least that situation. Yeah. Other, other thoughts? Yeah, one thing that stri strikes me uh, is that as change began to occur in the early church, often those who were tapped for to, to lead the change were not part of the, uh, the organizational hierarchy that had been established. <laughs> and um, and I, when we think about it today, I wonder as well if as we continue to grow and change within the Episcopal Church, mm -hmm. if that change is going to be seen by someone we didn't even know about mm -hmm. um, as an emerging leader. Organizationally, when I, when I look at big change, it's often sort of the wart on the organizational chart. <laughs> you know, something isn't working, so we have a workaround. Mm -hmm. And then that workaround becomes organizationally acceptable and part of how we do business, how, mm -hmm. we, how we manage ourselves, how we mm -hmm. live our lives. And I, I think we're in that moment now uh, for many churches uh, in this country, many of the organized churches, uh, seeing a significant decline in membership and the disorganized churches, the ones that will choose not to affiliate with a particular denomination, are seeing major growth. And the message may be the same, but the delivery is different. And so in this time of coronavirus, where we are talking like this, I think this gives us an opportunity to say, what in the church is changing? And how do we how do we expand our notion of Christianity and the Jesus movement mm -hmm. as we have different tools and different leaders emerging? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. I mean, that's that's a great observation. And and and, and I mean, that's what Bishop Doyle's been trying to do for us, you know, for four or five years, and thinking about you know that um, you know. There's not just one way of doing this, and, and that's the, the what we call the attract, attractional church. I mean, you know, of us being here in this one particular place and hope and attracting people to it. Uh, that there is this idea of sending out and forming communities that meet entirely different ways. And we may be like talking about that, you know, this summer about okay, we can get together in bigger groups, but we can't all gather here. So might we gather in each other's houses? Might we gather in different forms? Here at the church, uh, yeah. So that's uh, you know that's all up uh, for grabs, and I think it's something we can learn from. And that, you know that's kind of why we're doing this study now. Is like what can we ascertain in terms of message? You know what was the proclamation that um, the apostles were making? Uh, really, is Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. Very short form. Um, you know, but that's that's the message. How can we translate it into terms that people would understand now? 
but then also, you know, what, what forms does that take and what kind of leadership does it need? Yeah, yeah. I mean, some, some. You know, Father Darrell. Mm -hmm. Yes. I think I think it's very interesting in chapter five to read about Gamaliel. Oh yes. Gamaliel was well. I mean, he was obviously used by God there, but he was a man of wisdom and uh, cool and steady. Mm -hmm. Is really the kind of leader we need right now. And I wonder what happened to him. What. Well, you know, I wonder if he ever converted. I don't know. There's a tradition around Gamaliel, I think. I don't remember. There's a whole, like, he's part of, like, he was somebody. I don't remember. He was Paul's teacher. Did you know that? That's it. That's it. That's it. Yes. He was, when Saul was a boy, his right. parents sent him to Gamaliel to right. be tutored. And yeah, I knew he had some so. other connection to this. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes, uh, he's, he, he's, he's like a calming figure here. Um yeah, so they, 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 he calmed him down to, in order that they'd only just have him flogged rather than... Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, that's good, it's though. better than the alternative. It's better than being dead, you know. Uh, yeah, so, you know, so that's what I was, you know, as we read, you know, through this, is like, you know, like, you know, to go back to um, Jill's observations is, you know, so, what, you know, what's the message that the disciples are sharing? How do they deliver that message? Uh, what kind of gatherings are they having? What are they, you know, what are they doing? Uh, and then, what kind of leadership is needed? And we're going to see just in the next chapter that, you know, that in response to a, uh, a situation that you know a new form of leadership emerges. You know, the apostles are there, but then they they can't do everything. They're going to they're going to focus on teaching and preaching, and they're going to have these deacons uh, take care of well, what they call you know the widows. I mean, that's 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 what they're going to do. And so that's a, a new form of leadership. Sorry, I have a bug in my office. Um, yeah, so any other thoughts, questions? I mean, it's 11.07. Um, we have some homework? Yes, uh, yes, yes. It's, 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 I think it's only two chapters. And, uh, or maybe three. I mean, I have honestly not read all of Acts all the way through, so this is a new experience. Yeah, in one sort of thing. So I mean, this is new for me too. Um, so I think it's Acts six through eight. Yeah, Acts six, seven, and eight. Yes. And I think some of the things to think about might be like. Uh, these these are questions from the study guide book. Um, like, how do you welcome the stranger? How do you view others like yourself or unlike yourself? How can we? Well, how can one preserve their heritage while also being inclusive of new ideas and influences? That's a huge thing. You know, I would, you know, think about that. How can one preserve their heritage while also being inclusive of new ideas and influences? Um, another question is with the growing community also comes the delegation of roles and tasks what will we call this today we would call this one's call to ministry you know so think about what are the characteristics of being a leader are there any requirements and then in regards to Stephen 
let's see. Well, I don't know. There's a lot there. I would just say read. <laughs> yeah, just read those six chapters six, seven, and eight. Yeah, there is a whole big section about Stephen, um, who is the um, who, who, who is the church's first martyr. Uh, you know, what, what does he do that gets himself killed? We might ask. What does he say that gets himself gets him killed? Um, yeah. So think about those things. Are we? Well, thank you for. Yeah, it's pretty dark out there. It just popped up on okay. the screen. Okay. All right. Well, we know they, they those do happen around here. So. Um, well, I thank y'all for for participating in this, and it's. Uh, I, I wish we could all be together here at the church, and one day we will be, um, or maybe we'll gather at somebody's house at some point with ten or so people. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, uh, about who we hang out with, so. Yeah, well, Hugh, it's uh, I can't see you. I see I see your ceiling, but I'm glad to hear your voice. <laughs> but, but I'm glad to hear your voice. There you are. There you are. Yeah, yeah. but uh, but uh, we, we are having. Well, we are having a virtual uh, um, happy hour tonight. Uh, the the, the, the sign-in information for the virtual happy hour will be in the e-newsletter, which will come out this afternoon. So if you want another, do another Zoom call, have have a glass of wine or an equally attractive alternative, um, I'll, I'll be starting that up around 5.30. So, yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. Thanks for doing this. Well, you're welcome. Thank you all for participating. Thank you. Thank you. All right, stay, everybody stay safe. Have a good day. Like I said, we have no standards. <laughs> <laughs>